0: Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with Jonathan Gold, the CEO of the Arbor Group of Summer Camps. We talked about the power of play, about the special importance of summer camp to individual development, and what business leaders and school leaders and community leaders can learn from the mission driven power of leadership in camps. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan. Today I have Jonathan Gold, CEO of the Arbor Group of Summer Camps. Uh, Jonathan has over 40 years of experience in organized camping and and uh, and he's in charge of 3,000 kids per summer or, or some uh, monumental number. He's also just an amazing guy and we have in common. We uh, we both went to the great camp camp. Beckett in Beckett, Massachusetts. Jonathan, welcome to The
1: Indispensables. Well, thank you. It's, it's really an honor to be here. I'm, I'm very excited.
0: Uh, you uh, you know, I've always been uh, somebody who appreciated camp. Uh, I loved camp myself. I went to a day camp, and then I went to uh, an overnight camp for, for four summers, Camp Beckett. And you and I uh, bonded a, a long time ago over that. I think it was at a YMCA conference. But 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 you, I have learned so much from you about how much there is to running camps about the business side of it, the, the, the complexity of, of it. Uh, so so I, 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 I think this is going to be a great interview, and um, I'm so glad uh, to have this conversation with you. Maybe you could explain to folks, how did you get to
1: where you are? Uh, you know, it's it's a weird path. A lot of people in our industry, you know, it's a family business and it goes through their families. And, you know, my dad was a, a physician, so, so it wasn't a family business for me. And uh, I had graduated college back in 1982, did the normal kind of stuff, had a few jobs. My parents were dying for me to go to law school, but I didn't do that. Somewhere around like 27 or 28 years old, I was like, what was the one job that I've ever had that was the most rewarding, the most fun, and I really just felt the most comfortable in And that was being a camp counselor. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, go out and try to be a camp director and get a full time job being a camp director. Well, you know, little did I know at the time, you know, in the late 80s, that was a very difficult thing to do. There weren't like a lot of full time directors that didn't own camps. And so I was unsuccessful in my in my quest. And I wound up I had a master's degree, I had my MBA in finance and marketing. So I wound up teaching college at Caldwell University, graduate and undergraduate business, but not ever because I wanted to be a teacher, but only because I wanted to work camp in the summer. And college gave me, the, you know, as opposed to public school, college gave me like four months off in the summertime. And, and, you know, public school, the break was a lot shorter. So I got to teaching and I got a series of, of jobs in the summertime for various different camps. And began to build a little bit of a portfolio of success. And somewhere along the way, the university made me get my PhD, which I did in quality management systems in summer camping, because I just wanted to keep researching what my goal was. And then finally, in I think it was about 2001 or 2002, I did get that like full-time year-round director job. Uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. That was like 1997. And then I bought my first camp in 2002. And that was Oak Crest Day Camp, the camp I'm I'm still at today.
0: But you run three different
1: and am I right that you own three camps? You're not wrong, but I'm gonna. I'll talk a little bit about that because it's it's a little complicated. So so yeah, I bought OCrest and uh, the camp. Most camps are not for sale, Bruce. I don't I don't know if you know this or not, but in the industry, there are very few camps that you can like are listed with a broker or a realtor somewhere, you know, because it's a very inside baseball. And um, OCrest was not for sale. I literally, and this is a great story. I literally heard that the camp wasn't doing well. They had had five directors in six years. I found out who the owner was. They owned, um, they were really, their their mainline business was special needs students and, and, and school, and camp was a side business for them. I found their office, knocked on the door, unannounced walked into her office the owner and said hey you know what i really want to buy your camp and she's like well, well who are you i was like well you know i'm a guy that i think i can run it better than you and she's like well, why would you say that i said well you've had five directors in six years and you don't have a great reputation and you know let's let's put a deal together and we did <laughs> um so 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 in
0: other words you you came you swooped in and bought um an undermanaged camp correct let me back up a minute, because what you what you said earlier, you know, some people, their biggest advice or their sort of do what you love. You know, the classic line is if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But you really, truly found, gee, camps are what I love. And, and you found a way to make a career doing
1: this it it sounds abbreviated but there were you know 12 to to 15 years in there where i just worked at at various camps various different jobs building sort of a portfolio together where i understood what it was to run a camp so when it came time to go to a bank and get investment to put a deal together that i had no business putting together because i really did not have the money the banks who who knew me from the other camps that i had worked at were like you know what we'll, we'll take a chance on this guy because he he was successful at this camp or he was successful at that camp and you know i'm literally to this day still very grateful to a guy named joe murray who was the ceo of the dime bank in pennsylvania who took a chance on me when nobody else would, you know, and he did and and it worked out.
0: So you came in. So it was actually a leveraged buyout you did of this distressed camp.
1: Oh, I, I was in debt. I mean, you know, underwater isn't the right description, Bruce. I mean, (laughs) I was I was heavily in debt. Um, I literally put every penny I had into the deal. And, uh, you know, my my wife at the time, when we got out of the closing, I love telling this story. We had like literally, I think, one hundred sixty seven dollars left in our checking account. And I said, I said, let's go out to dinner and celebrate because we're not going out for a really long time after this. (laughs)
0: So you you come in this like MBA PhD in management, but people don't usually think of like a uh, an LBO CEO coming in and taking over. And what did you buy a camp? And what are you going to do in that camp? Well, we're going to build up young people. And we're going to
1: help them learn and grow. But yeah, first of all, I've never ever heard it described that way. That I did an LBO, but you're exactly right. I I, I you know. Put up what capital I had, and, and the original owners financed some, and the bank financed the rest. And I apologize for my dog in the background. Yeah. So I've, I've honestly just never heard it described that way as an LBO, but that's, that's in fact what it was. You know, within two years, I was able to buy out the original owners, and within, and we were actually, and I still think back on this, we were profitable at year one. And, and usually it takes it takes, you know, two to three years to get back to break even. And what happened was uh, I had a lot of really good luck. But, you know, I, I really think um, it was very the whole the whole journey was very, you know, Joseph Campbell esque. They always say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And there were just a bunch of people that appeared that really sort of helped me and guided me through the process. It just like things fell into place. And I kind of feel like when you do find a purpose like that, you know, the universe is telling you, hey, we're going to help you get to where you need to go because this is what you're supposed to do. And that's what it kind of felt like to me at the time. Um, I haven't really thought about it for a long time because it's been 20 years since then. But, you know, it was scary. It was super scary. You know, you're, you're, you're betting 100 percent on yourself. You have no money at all. And, you know, like like what was that, that in that movie, uh, The Hunt for Red October? They said when, when Cortez got to the new world, he, he burned his ships. So that his men were properly motivated, you know. You feel like that. You're like, there's no going back at this point. You know, you you owe too much money. You've you've made too many commitments. You have to succeed. There's no other path ahead of you.
0: Yeah, and yet, you know, uh, that sounds like a great strategy. Uh, except that there's plenty of people who do that and then find themselves in a tough spot, man, without and without a boat. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well said.
1: Well said. Yes.
0: Um, so 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 um, I I am somebody who. Um, was really enriched by camp. And when I I think about my life story, camp became this one of the most important formative experiences of my life. And I could opine on that, but since you're an expert on camp, what is it
1: about camp? Why why camp and not school? What's different about camp? Well, that that is an absolutely great question. And you and I shared The same experience at Camp Beckett, where I think the number one determiner of a child's success at camp is that connection they get with their camp counselor. And that is what's really unusual. All of a sudden, you know, you're away from your parents, you're in an environment and you have somebody who's like the coolest person in the world. And you and I have talked about this. When you're when you're 10 years old, that 18, 19, 20 year old guy, that college sophomore is like the coolest guy in the world. And all of a sudden you can connect with them and they're gonna see something in you that maybe nobody else did and teach you a little bit about how to succeed and what the mechanism of success is and the greatest coaches in the world get you to do something that you didn't think you could do the same is true of camp counselors and managers and leaders you know they get you to to get to the next level and you're you're just in a place where it's it's very supportive it's very safe to try new things and you can get to be your best self, you know, that's, I think the goal of all summer camps is you can be you and people accept you for who you are. And I think that's part of the power of it. And when you talk about the difference between camp and school, you're so much more, I guess this isn't the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway. You're so much more absorbent at camp. You have to go to school but you get to go to camp and then you just absorb everything that's around you. And it's, it's really kind of cool.
0: Yeah. And, and, and so uh, help me understand the, the difference between, I mean, I know the difference between day camp and, and, and overnight camp, but uh, what are your age blocks in cuz you you run day camp
1: yeah. yeah i run i run day camps but i'm a, i'm a hardcore sleepaway camp guy i was my whole life prior to getting into day camp and i always thought i I'd, I'd wind up as a as a you know, resident camp director, but uh, my path took me in another direction. D- you know, day camps, we deal with a little bit of a younger population. We go as young as like four all the way up to 15. And there's a g- good segment of the population that will not go away to resident camp. Uh, so so we we sort of service that. And, you know, resident camps typically are like eight, nine, all the way up to 15, 16. And, you know, there are, there are significant challenges on both sides. Um, we are, I think, in day camps, a lot more logistically challenged uh, in, in our daily operations. I think resident camps are, are a little more programmatically ca- challenged and they're, they have staffing challenges that are out there today. So it's, it's hard. I think it's hard in both businesses right now. It's a certain, and the last two years have been the hardest of my entire career, hands down. I've never seen anything like it. How did you handle the pandemic? Would Were the kids able to come to camp? In day camp, yes. In most resident camps, no. Uh, in 2020, most resident camps, including Camp Beckett, Bruce, did not open. I was a, I was amongst probably a group of 50 to 60 percent of the camps in New Jersey that did open, and it was a monumental struggle to get open. And when we finally did get open, we were at probably 50 to 60 percent enrollment. And I got to tell you, it was probably one of the most gratifying summers I've ever had in in my career, in that these children so desperately needed it. But it it was strange. We 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 operated successfully in, in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. The pandemic has been really I, I can't even begin to tell you how hard it's been on children and their families. I mean, it's it's been awful. And you know, I I kind of feel that we're a little bit of the antidote for that. Um, we did not have to mask. At camp in and, and 20 and 21, we were very active in trying to get the regs together that allowed us to operate in a way that we could still give kids a good experience, given that that we still had to do it safely with all the pandemic stuff that was out there. It was hard. It was really hard.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine. And uh, uh yeah, and as you say, on the one hand. Kids and their families are struggling, you know, you give them an oasis and yet uh, you probably had to bend over backwards and jump through hoops to make sure that you were observing whatever requirements and uh, to keep people safe.
1: And, and the fear. I mean, there was so much fear out there in summer 2020. I mean, I, I to this day am incredibly indebted to the staff that stepped up because we didn't know a lot about COVID in the summer of 2020 and there was no vaccine. You know, they stepped up and a lot of them, you know, a lot of people backed out and there was a, a hardcore group of staff that stepped on and said, no, we think this is important and we want to have camp. And if it hadn't been for them, we wouldn't have been able to do it. That was one of our biggest things. And, and we took a lot of steps uh, to make sure that that our staff that we knew were coming were actually coming, um, including like sending letters to their parents saying, hey, we really understand if you're if your child, if you don't want your child to come to camp, just let us know to work at camp this summer. Just let us know because we have that we have to put this program together. And it was it worked out. It was good. Um, so were you understaffed uh no not in not in 2020 in fact in 2020 we had to cut staff because we were under campered <laughs> we were under enrolled only a certain kind of parent sent their kid to camp you had to be really comfortable with the risk and and everything else that was was out there and i'm gonna say this with with all with all due humility i really am but Everything, every assumption we made in the spring of 2020 about children, about the spread, about, you know, how it affects kids was correct. Um, every, And it's been proven out by the data now. Uh, You know, kids are in school safely. Kids have been in school in Europe without masks. And we didn't know that then. And so a lot of parents kept their kids home. A lot of people that had been to camp for years and years and years. And then what was interesting, Bruce, in 2020, uh, and this was all three camps, it was the first year we do re-enrollment at the end of the summer and our re-enrollment is usually, you know, 60, 70, 80% of enrollment where, kids, where people re-enroll. Well, the re-enrollment at all three camps was over 100% of what the enrollment had been that summer because a lot of people who had, who had sat out said this was a mistake and came back in. And
0: Right. And and, and especially in the context of that first COVID summer, I'm sure uh, the kids and their their families were so grateful to have that
1: experience. It was amazing. It was really amazing. I've I've never seen a closing day of camp that was more emotional, where where more children, more staff were, were crying that didn't want the experience to end than the end of Camp Summer 2020. I've never seen anything like that.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really something. And it, so so I want to drill down here a little bit um, because uh, we're, we're we're talking about this particular challenging environment we're all in we've all been sort of in this situation now uh for 22 months as of this recording it's mind-boggling and and so i i think the 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 lesson of your summer 2020 and i'm guessing 2021 was uh was was pretty robust to me it's it's just an example of i shouldn't say just it's an example of a case of extremists which highlights the ordinary because there's something about camp, even in its most ordinary incarnation, that is special, right? And so when when everyone's backed into a corner, camp comes to the rescue, but when everything's going just fine, camp has such a uh, an enriching effect on people. You know, you and I both went to a camp where, OK, it was a YMCA camp and it was explicitly values driven. And, and, and I, I know there are camps that are like, I guess you can send kids to like camp to learn how to start a business or computer camp or whatever. But there's something about camping itself um, and people who are into camping that is values driven. And why do you think that is or can you shed some light on
1: that? Well, you, you actually just gave the answer to your own question, which is which is fascinating. You're most people that I find in camping have had that transformative experience and are dying to give it back. And that's that's exactly what you said is exactly right. So you you went in there, you had some kind of experience that really transformed your life. And you know I, I say this to my staff all the time. I went to camp and it was a long time ago. I'm not going to even tell you, but a long time ago. I can still remember every single counselor's name. I can't I can't recite all my elementary school teachers names, but I can remember every single counselor, where they were from, the stories they told. And, and I'm sure they didn't even know that they were making that indelible of an impression on my psyche. Right. At the time. But, you know, in, in terms of youth development and child development, we are the most powerful environment, I'm sure. I, you know, I don't have any doubt that we are just so powerful because you're sharing an experience with somebody. I like to say it's like a tapestry. and You know, we went to Beckett. It's the same thing. It's like a tapestry of moments that gets woven together in a summer to create a beautiful memory. You know, when a kid does something and achieves something and for the first time and, and and they get that personal growth, they give off this powerful energy that everybody receives. And it's a wonderful
0: thing. Yeah, but what is it? Is it, you know, it it's it's not just sleeping in a cabin with with a bunch of your buddies, um, because it 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 happens in day camp also. You know, surely teachers are committed to growing and developing kids, mentors, and yet
1: there's something about it. I don't know if it's the critical mass of the kids. I got you. I got you on this one. You know what it is, honestly, and and I feel we have so gotten away from this in our society and in our culture. We understand the incredible power of play, and that is how children learn. That is how children develop. That is how they understand how to be with each other. I heard one of one of the most poignant stories just this past week at one of my leadership team meetings. I have a guy named Nick and he's the transportation director at one of my camps and he's been, you know, school bus driver for a long time. He's absolutely one of the best human beings I've ever met and we were talking about this exact same thing, Bruce. This exact same thing. And he looked at me and said, "Jonathan, and he now picture this. OK, just picture this for a second. He drives middle school and high school kids to, to school every morning. He's like, kids get on the bus. They have their masks on. They sit down and they start and they're just their heads are down and they're into their phones and the entire bus is quiet. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was on a school bus and, and you know, I was 10 years old, it was bedlam. It was it was chaos, right? You know, there was like kids were screaming and they were jumping around their seats and the school bus driver, you know, like that scene from Billy Madison. And that is such a sad, uh, such a sad commentary on where we are right now in this pandemic, because it's put us all into these silos, into these little silos where it's hard to be empathetic. It's hard to connect. And now we are at that environment where we can teach people, oh my God, there's a way to communicate with each other without a device. Okay. You can talk and read people's expressions. And this is what the power of humanity was, right? We, we survived as a species because we could communicate and bond together. And a lot of that has been taken away from us by the pandemic. And it's really sad. And so when we, when we, all of my camps are device-free environments, all of them, most camps are. And when we pull staff away from their phones, you know, I can see they're like freaking out for a few days, but then they realize, you know, live is better. It's actually better. It's more rewarding. It's real time. You know, I just think now more than ever, we've gotten so important in a child's development because, you know, we're like the last great bastion of play. And when you ask what makes the camps, what makes camp different is we get that. We get that when you're playing dodgeball, which is, you know, a little politically incorrect now because you, know, you can't really play dodgeball in the public schools. I actually feel there are a lot of great life lessons in dodgeball and properly supervised with the proper counselor. You know, you can have a lot of fun. And it's true. Kids will play dodgeball and Foursquare. Remember Foursquare from Beckett? I, I I loved Foursquare. And I will tell you something that. Listen, I have
0: found as an adult in the real world that uh, all styles are equally valid and everyone wins and there are no distinctions based on behavior and skill and attitude and uh, and hard work. Oh, wait. No, no. In the real
1: world, that that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I say this to my parents. Overcompetitiveness is bad, but so is undercompetitiveness. You know, there, there's a happy medium where you teach kids how to win and lose. And that's just part of life. And learning to deal with it is also part of life. And if you can find, you know, the place in a summer camp with all the you know huge array of activities that you offer children where a child can succeed, that's a powerful thing for them. You know, no matter what that is. Doesn't matter what that their particular success is, and and that's sort of I think what what makes camp special. Yeah. So what would it look like if you did summer camp? <laughs> remotely well a lot of camps tried to do it i don't know because i didn't try but i can i can give you this little piece you know we put on these these big camp show productions in my day camps um every year and we had to do it we had to do it virtual in the past few years and we tried to put as much like energy and hoopla behind it as you can but like i said before live is better
0: yeah, I mean, it seems like in camp, you know, and, and I like what you're saying about uh, the, the power of play. And, you know, I'm guessing that that when we gathered together in hunting bands uh, to chase, chase after wildebeests, I would guess that children played games that were similar to that in order to kind of prepare to do stuff like that.
1: Well, you're, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. You're you're hitting hitting the nail. I mean this is in in a lot of tribal cultures play is the way children learn. That is their school. And if you just even look back to the Native Americans, I mean lacrosse, which is a great game, is the name was called bagataway, which means little brother of war. It was a game that prepared children to be warriors. And so, you know, there are all sorts of examples of that, but moreover, it taught them how to work together, how to get along, how to be part of a team, how to be with each other children that don't know how to play get what happens to them if they're always hitting or yelling or not being nice, they're ostracized. This is sort of what, what play is all about. And summer camp, you know, is organized play. It's structured and unstructured at the same time. I mean, we don't let kids run wild and, you know, go Lord of the flies, but there, there are ways where you could do that. And, and, I think that is part of the magic of what happens every summer.
0: And being, you know, being together, learning to read each other, learning to read people, learning to anticipate, learning to notice those things that come from being together. It's interesting that you uh, shine a bright light on the idea of playing together because that is really a distinction, right? A lot of what's going on at camp is mutual recreation as opposed to, but you, you do learn a lot of stuff. Stuff. Where do you think this sort of values? I mean, you know a lot more about camps. I mean, after all, you, you've been, um, uh, you've been the, the president of the New Jersey Camps Association. You've been chairman of uh, camp owners and directors, national conference. Uh, you, you, you're a leader in the industry, so you know a lot about camps. Are all camps
1: values driven? I mean, do they all have like their values posted up on the wall? Well, what I learned from sort of all my studies and, and I'm, I'm one of these people that always feels like you should go out and see what other industries doing and cherry pick the best things and bring them back into summer camping. So the camps that have very clearly distinct and well stated missions Yes. Just like any other business, they are very values driven. It's the same exact thing. I mean, you know, some of the some of the best human beings I've ever met in my life were people that I worked at Camp Ronald McDonald out in L.A. Camp for Children with Cancer is is very values driven, very. And, and they're all it's a 100 percent volunteer staff. Okay. So everybody comes out there that they all want to be there and they all want to make a difference. And uh, that's a very impressive organization. People that, that understand that get the connect. It's, it's really the connection that you have a simple, a very simple mission statement. And from that, everything flows, right? And, you know, our mission at our camps is to create a summer experience for our families. That is so exceptional that we create campers for life. That's our mission statement. End of story, right? There's not, Four pages long. It's simple. Every staff member. And you think about it, these are 17, 18, 19 year old kids. They got to be able to understand something that's simple. And how do you how do you make that work? The camps that are values driven, the camps that are really successful, the camps that teach the kind of things we're talking about, they all have those very clear mission statements. And they're all different varieties. Maybe maybe they're religious camps, maybe they're sport camps, whatever they are. They're successful, I think, because they're mission driven.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember one of the things I remember so well about Camp Beckett. Uh, and I, I, I remember this very early on. One of the things that, that uh, I remember seeing a kid uh, being not very nice to another kid and having someone very casually say, oh, that's not Beckett. And and then that became I realized that was a trope was shared by anyone who was an experienced camper there. And so that Beckett became synonymous with being kind to each other, treating each other with respect and, and, you know, okay. You say, well, yeah, okay. I could see that. But the idea of getting a bunch of, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds on board with that, such that if you were not like that, you stuck out like a sore thumb, the social pressure of that. And the pressure was not to be cool, not to be great at sports, although, you know, certainly that was appreciated or whatever, but it was to be respectful to each other was how to fit in.
1: And and you might want to add to that, that was an all-male environment. Okay, which is I think even more difficult to do because you know you're all boys and boys tend to be a little aggressive at times. And and so to put it in management terms, and and my one of my favorite management gurus, right, Peter Drucker, said this: culture eats strategy for breakfast. And if your mission is good and you're consistent, and the words and the music match, you therefore create a culture where that's not Beckett.
0: And it was just so powerful. And and what an amazing thing to be able to do for people. And what can schools learn from that? How can schools emulate that? How can businesses
1: emulate that? How can
0: communities emulate that?
1: I mean, look, the good businesses do. I mean, clearly we're, you know, we're not doing anything different than any really mission driven, values driven corporation. We're doing the same kind, we're operating, the you know, whether we realize it or not, we're using the same kind of management precepts and principles. I think that for schools, you know, particularly in public schools, their mission statements aren't simple enough. If I if I could if I could say that, because a lot of times they're very long and complex. And then if it's not relatable to the teachers, if they can't get behind it, you know, it's, it's hard for them to, to drive exactly what they're trying to do. But I think that the curriculum in school, schools, it's it's you know, I hate to say this, but it's not a fair comparison. And I, I get asked this question a lot kids want to be at camp and they have to be at school. You know, it's sort of like comparing going to the ice cream store to going to the dentist. You, you're excited to go to the ice cream store. You know, get a, you, get a, you get a vanilla cone or whatever. And, you know, you don't, you're not really that excited to go to the orthodontist. So, you know, where I get to and there I have to. So there are a lot of things different. But I think that the things that, that they can learn or, or that I would say is true of any business, you know, make sure your mission is clear and from your mission, derive your principles and who your key key groups are and make sure that uh, that they're, look, I love the the Shake Shack book. Danny Meyer setting the table. That is a great book, and and he's done some amazing stuff that that we in fact use in in training. You know, I think the good the good ones get that. They get that. So,
0: so how do you get that across to your camp directors, to your uh, staff? I mean, how, just for perspective. So, you got you're in charge of three thousand kids every summer. What what does the staff look like? So people understand this is a substantial enterprise.
1: So we we have a, a relatively small full time crew. It's about like twelve, fourteen people that work year round. And then we expand if you take all three camps to probably about eight hundred employees. So basically we're reinventing the wheel every year, right? Every year.
0: Just think of that. So so uh, I was just doing a management seminar uh, last week with an organization where they were talking about, oh well, the problem is we have all these seasonal people. We, we we can't get them on board and up to speed fast enough. We can't get our our values across to them. We can't get our standard operating procedures across to them. And by the time we do, the the season is over and they're gone, and we're back to our core group. So here you've got a core group of twelve to fourteen people who who help run the business year round, uh, and 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 I'm sure help manage not just camper recruitment but also recruit the the 800 people I mean talk about staffing
1: up and staffing down. how do you get it all across to them? okay again culture each strategy for breakfast I, I love I love talking about staff training and I'm gonna try not to go off too much on this but I will say this so many people get caught up in procedure and policy and I'm not saying that's important because I'm dealing we're dealing with the lives of children a good portion of your training has to be about that right and you know how to and what to do if but a good portion of your training has to be creating those cultural norms and passing them on from year to year to your staff as to and to use your term what is Beckett or what is Oakcrest or what is Pine Grove? How does that work? What is normal for here? And the people that hold that in their hearts are usually your returning staff that come and they get that, you know, that we get that across to them as to, as to how it works. And you don't have a lot of time. You really don't. You you only have maybe, maybe three or four in day camp, three or four tw- couple of 24 hours to get it done, you know, some two full days and a few, you know, four hour sessions, you really have to be super creative. And the, the thing that I always, every year I'm afraid of, the, the messaging is such a challenge. Packaging it is such a challenge. If you sit there and lecture to your staff the whole time, it's like, you might as well, honestly, you might as well put headphones on them and have them watch a movie or something. You're just not going to get through. It's got to be, it's got to be something that's relatable to them. And there has to be different and unique ways that you get them doing it. And I think that's the challenge every year is to get your staff done. So what I do is I constantly read these books or listen to books on, you know, on Audible like Danny Meyer and find out what are other industries that have tons of part-time employees that are really successful? How are they getting their message across? I got a lot from, um, have you heard about PALS, the little burger chain out in uh, Tennessee and Kentucky that that serves you in less than a minute and their food is really good and everything. We went to PALS man- management training with some of my leader- leadership staff. I mean, little things like that and you get, you get things that are relatable and you get things that work and find out what other industries are doing, not just what other people in your industry are doing. I think that's really important.
0: Let's say you bring in 800 people. How many of them typically have worked for you in previous summers?
1: Um, It vacillates, you know, I find that it cycles sometimes. So here's the interesting part about our part time people, because we start them, you know, it's like senior year in high school and they usually go to like, you know, sophomore, junior year. Everybody's got a shelf life and you don't want to keep them too long or too short. But on a good year. 50, 60, 70 percent of your staff are returning, but they do cycle out and they do get real jobs. And on a year where you had 60 percent, the next year you might have 40 or 30 percent. The key thing, I think, are your leaders, you know, making sure your leaders are returning.
0: Yeah. And and, and, but that's beyond the 12 to 14 full time, right? Because you also have have leaders among those eight hundred.
1: We have we have what we like to call our administrative staff or our leadership team division leaders, and they're typically they're typically teachers that uh, you know have their summers off and have worked have gone to camp or have worked for us for a period of time. They sort of get what we're trying to do, and that that in and of itself, by the way, has its own challenges because they're coming from a very different sort of status quo culture to a very rapidly changing private business culture. So there are some challenges there as well. But if you get those people year after year and you train them well, I think that's a big part of it.
0: And do you think being teachers makes them better
1: at being counselors and uh, camp administrators? Yes and no. The yes part is because they've done it and they get it uh, and they know the power of the experience. The no part is, is you're going from people who are in a very what's the right word? Tradition-based. Schools are all about process and procedure, right? A lot of the curriculum is prescribed and, you know, teachers don't have a lot of latitude to change a lot during the year. Now, when they come to camp, our traditions are very well-defined. Our, you know, traditions and everything that makes camp, you know, back at the identity, like you were saying, the the mottos on the wall, the songs, all that stuff, that's very well-defined. But our business practices must evolve every single year in order for us to be competitive, right? They have to evolve. And, And so you're, in a tradition based organization that has to have evolving business practices. And that's a little bit of a challenge. You know, hey, we got to do this differently this year, people, because you know, we we can't use styrofoam anymore, or, you know, that we have X, Y, and Z regs, or we have to change this, or we have to change that, or, you know, we're trying to 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 wow our parents a little more. So we're coming in with a new procedure. And so that's a big challenge too. So the answer to that question is yes and no. You know, it, it works on on some parts of it and other parts of it it's a little bit of a struggle. Does being in camp for the summer, you think, make them better teachers? There's zero doubt to that answer. That's an easy one. Uh, every single person that has come through that has worked at camp before they became a teacher, they can walk in and manage a classroom. No problem. They ex- have all those skills. They're, they're reacting. They're not, you know, they're, they're actually reacting in real time in terms of what's happening. You don't have to think about what to do. I get that so much from because, you know, if you're studying to be a teacher, there's not a lot of child management involved in that. And they come to camp. And listen, I've always said this is the best management training in the world. Summer camp. I, I think it's about, if you can run a group of, of of third grade boys, you can do anything. You can do anything. Uh, my, my, you remember Jim Goldman? I think he was your one of your counselors, right? He became the CEO of Godiva Chocolates. He went to the Wharton School of Business and he ran an organization with over four thousand people. And to this day, he says being a camp counselor was the best management training he ever had. Yeah, well,
0: it's it's uh, I I get that sometimes when I'm doing management seminars, um, I'll have somebody raise their hand and say, well, gosh, what you're describing sounds a lot like being a parent. And I'll say, well, I'm not trying to infantilize your employees. But, you know, I'm talking about caring, supportive, teaching style management. So sure. I mean, who do you care about more than your kids? And uh, if you're good at it. Uh, You hold them to a high standard and you help them reach that high standard. But you're talking about uh, classroom management. So it's it's managing a small
1: horde of children. Let's go back to what I said a few minutes ago about connection. So if you're a good counselor and you're going to go into education and you've been working here a few years, what are the skills you need to connect? Well, one of the big ones is empathy. You have to be able to be with somebody when they're feeling something. You have to be able to organize a camp day and anticipate what a child's needs are. How am I talking that's anything different from being a good boss or being a good leader? And empathy is very different from sympathy. You don't have to, you don't, you know, you have to understand how someone's feeling. I, I can be very empathetic as I'm firing you. But it's like not being, hey, sympathetic as well. Maybe we'll give you another chance. I mean, you know, it's very two very different skill sets. And I think they get confused today. But being present for somebody and understanding and staying ahead and planning ahead and understanding what everybody's needs are. That's being a good boss. (laughs) That's that's being a good boss and being a good counselor. You know, those aren't just like nice things. Those are essential things. If you can't do that, you're not going to survive. You're not going to make it through the first two weeks of camp.
0: Yeah. So it, it must be a hard uh, as a leader of a large complex organization where you have 800 seasonal people. Let's say half of them are new each summer. You have your core group and then you have a core group each summer of returning leaders. So what do you do to, to, to get across uh, the, the important values, the important
1: behaviors as you're getting people on board and up to speed for the summer? You know, Bruce, this is funny. And and when I was younger, I used to have the belief that if I just prepared thoroughly enough, that everything would go well. All I had to do was, you know, just find the way to get the right level of preparation in for the – I mean, because think about it. We're running – multiple businesses at the same time, food service, pool management, child development, staff development, site management, transportation. These are all multiple things. So I'm thinking, okay, if I could just prepare well enough on all these fronts, summer will go smoothly. Okay. That was pure hubris. What I did was over time, I said, you know what? We have to get everybody here, get through training, and we need to get to Friday of the first week. We can tell everybody what it's like, but you can never give them the context of what it feels like when it's 100 degrees out. And, you know, 15 kids are calling your name 400 times a day and you're exhausted because you just put in 15, 16 miles on foot on a day when it was 100 degrees. I can't give you that context. So I changed from preparation to focusing on coaching getting my leaders to say, okay, this is what we have to coach for and defining what it is we want to try to coach for and get those people to Friday. And then if you could get the basics done in the first week, you have a foundation that you can start to build on for the rest of the summer.
0: And, and, and is
1: there regular course correction that has to happen uh, throughout the process? Constantly, constantly. I mean, look, the game is the best teacher, right? The game is the best coach, you know, and, and if you're properly trained, you can tell people how to respond to certain situations, but you're not going to really know how they respond until they get into the game. And you very quickly find out who the game players are and what's going on. And if you've done your culture development correctly, you don't have to do that much because like you said, the people that are standing out are the people that aren't fitting into the culture.
0: So there's enough people in the organization at the beginning of the summer who know how things go, who know how things are supposed to go, that they can infect the others with the right attitude and the right behavior. Do you ever have people who... Pretty quickly, you start to think, oh, no, I got a dud or I got a bad
1: actor or. Well, you know, I was at a a training session with a very smart guy once who said it really comes down to three things, skill, ability and will. Have you heard about that? (laughs) I'm familiar with that model. (laughs) You're you're familiar with that model. So I try to train my leaders around that particular model uh, and all the time. Look, last summer, you know, 2021, we thought 2020 was hard. 2021 was hands down, the hardest summer of my entire career. I think people were were fragile. People were very, you know, traumatized by the pandemic. They were coming out. And from a management perspective, it felt like I was carrying around a, a basket of eggshells in a hurricane. And, try, and trying not to break any. And, uh, you know, it, it, there was so much happening and we couldn't get to a lot of the higher function, higher level stuff. But yeah, you know, we make hiring mistakes just like everybody else. What what I train my people to do, and and I think this is something you said at one of your seminars also, was if you made a mistake, you want to correct immediately. You know, if somebody's not fitting in, you got to get rid of them, you got to make it happen. The second part of that really is I would rather run with a smaller group of committed staff who were in line with my values and what we were trying to do than to keep on people who weren't buying in. Because what happens is you get that smaller group and then they find other people and then you attract them. And somehow... It magically always works out, you know. It like it, it somehow magically always seems like that that scene. I don't know if you ever saw. Remember Shakespeare in Love when when the guy's like, "How's it going to work out?" You know, "How's it going?" to The guy's like, "I don't know. It's a mystery." I feel the same way. It's a mystery. It's just like it somehow magically works out, and you'll find somebody who's in line with your values, and they'll jump in and and make it work.
0: Well, I I do believe in magic, but I but I think there might be something more uh, uh, scientific that could explain why this happens. And I do think that Loper. Performers or people who are out of alignment with your values, they send a message to others that maybe it's optional. Uh, they cause problems that other people have to fix. Uh, the, the people who are in alignment start to think like, gee, I, I don't really like being around that person. And uh, so I, I, I do think that the negatives of keeping somebody around who's out of alignment are are sufficient that that you're better off without them. And and I'm somebody who believes that, you know, 50 percent commitment is 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 not better than than zero. But it's got to be hard to 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 get rid of somebody at the beginning of a summer.
1: You know, the, the longer you keep them, the worse it gets. Dan, Danny Meyer, again, said, you know, people people turn skunk. They go skunk. And when they go skunk, they start to smell and other people start to smell. And it's just, you know, you got you got. So this is what happens. We have an eight week summer. So if you compress that time and say, all right, this is like a 365 day a year job. Each week is like, I think six or something, six and a half or seven weeks of of a regular job. If you lose somebody in the first 10 operating days of camp by the third or fourth week of camp, nobody even remembers their name. They're like, who's that guy in basketball that got fired? Was it Jeff? Who's that guy? And then, and then, but if you do it, the sixth week of camp, everybody remembers them you know everybody like they have it they've had an impact they've, they've skunked people you know and so so if we think with all our experience and if my leadership team has like a hundred years of experience under their belts in camp and they're feeling like something's not right or you know we can tell if you're not connecting or if you're if you see a counselor or a staff member and they're yelling at kids you're in the wrong place if you see a you know a counselor who's, who's wandering away from his group and talking to girls a lot you know he's in the wrong place you know and I said and but but moreover I think think that you hit on something that's, that's incredibly important for today's youth, right? Because a good summer is when I can take a camper and move them from A to B in their life journey. A great summer is when I can take campers and staff and move them from A to B in their life journey, right? And what you just said is so incredibly important, the value of commitment. At age 18, 19, 20, in a culture that's very counter commitment. Oh, this is hard. I think I'm gonna go on vacation. Or oh, you know, this isn't really what I thought. You know, my friend's doing something else and they they work in an air conditioned mall and maybe I should do that. The value of understanding that. So, you know, at the beginning of staff training, we'll say, you know, I'll literally say to people, listen, you've made a commitment. If you have any doubt at this point, I'd rather see you leave now. And, and I'll figure it out. Then leave in July after you've you know had an impression on some children.
0: What do you think about um, what I'm I'm, I'm just now I'm just spitballing here. But um, but it seems like maybe uh, it wouldn't be a horrible thing to have have summer camp for grownups.
1: Oh, my huh. God. Oh, that's the other the other. You asked the second most popular question. The first most popular question is what do you do the rest of the year? <laughs> and, and we've been talking about that but the second most popular question is how come you don't have how can you don't have camp for for adults well there are uh, weekend camps where you know people have retreats but can you you can imagine some of the challenges there right because you don't think kids don't listen sometimes the the other the third most important question I get is I'll see like I'll be doing a tour we have these open houses and a mom will be have a kid in the stroller and maybe one or two other kids it's like 11 12 o'clock you know 11 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock and the, the next most popular question I get is there wine here? <laughs> is there is there wine? Is there are you serving wine at this open house? Because if you're going to take my kids for 20 minutes, I need a drink.
0: But but you know, and I know there are you know summer camps for adults. Usually they're very adultish. I'm wondering if, and I don't mean like you know uh, anything um prurient. And I wonder if you had a, a summer camp with
1: children's programming, even uh, if you had it for a weekend, if it might be good for the adults. You know, I get I get the question all the time, and and. You know, I have friends in sleepaway camp that do that stuff either before or after, you know, their summer session. But for us in day camping, most of us, most of the people we talk and some people have catering events, they go on their weekends and stuff like that. But most of my colleagues, we are so burnt out by Friday afternoon. We're working, you know, we're in the office at six. A lot of times we don't leave till till eight, nine o'clock at night. And we're, we're doing some stuff like we really need that 24 hours just to recharge.
0: Yeah, well, okay. So here's one more idea for you. What if the experience for business leaders was they get to be on your staff.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's uh, that that might be a good thing or, you know, because it really is. It really is. Um, it really is uh, you know. The the analogy I use with my with my counselors all the time, and I'm dating myself at least. Like, thank God there was a little bit of a, a comeback on this one. But you remember the Karate Kid, right? Where where Mr. Miyagi was teaching Daniel, you know, hey, wax on, wax off, and sand the floor and everything else. And he was ready to quit because he's like, this sucks. I'm, I'm I'm cleaning up your yard. And Miyagi's like, no, you don't realize what you've learned. And then he, you know, they have this little scene where he realized that he's learning how to block and you know all that other good stuff. And I make the point to my staff every year. I'm like, you don't realize you're gonna you're gonna use the these skills, when you get to be managing a store, when you get to be managing a team, you're going to understand how this works because it's going to be second nature to you at this point. And it's a hard, it's a hard connection for them to make again, because I find one of the biggest challenges we have is context. There's no context. It's like, it's like you've worked with the military. How do you, how do you get um, a new Marine to understand what boot camp is really going to feel like? You can't do it unless they've been their, unless they've been their boot camp, right? You know, it's uh it's hard. It's hard. But yeah, there's there's just a lot of skills that they pick up. And not for nothing, you know, uh
0: running uh an organization that is in three locations with eight hundred staff, with three thousand kids. Uh, that is a large complex business that you run and and, and I think Um, That could be lost uh, for a lot of people realizing that, you know, there's real estate involved. As you say, there's transportation, there's facilities management, uh, not to mention sales, marketing, disaster preparation. I mean, there's uh, I mean, not to mention you got to feed them.
1: Well, well, you know, people like their, you know, everybody thinks camp is all sunshine and rainbows and they talk about, oh, you know, you're dealing with the kid problems or the parent issues or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's the tip of the iceberg. That's the stuff I got into it for. I love that stuff. You know, I love dealing with the, like the problems that you can actually fix and solve right on the spot. Those are great. You know, the hard things are like, you know, the, the, the transportation logistics and the meal serving logistics and, you know, getting everybody in and out of camp efficiently and not losing a kid. And, you know, it's really it's really crazy that way. So, you know, those are the, the, like with, with camping, a lot of what you don't see is just under it's under the surface of the water. And what you do see, the product is great at the end, but people's, you know, people don't realize the, the amount of prep that goes into it. So when we answer the question, what do you do all year? We we basically set up all that stuff that's underwater and there's so much that goes into it. Oh, it's, it's,
0: it's huge.
1: Uh, and it's, it's
0: profound. And, uh, every single year you make a lot of lives better and you've managed to do that, doing something you love to do. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a, a phenomenal success story. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. And it is an honor and a privilege to know you and to be your friend. And uh, um, and I will just—I uh, I, I guess we didn't get into your. Also, you you also have a complex corporate finance story to tell, but uh, but that might be for the sequel. Um, I will say, Jonathan Gold, thank you.
1: Well, it's it's been a, a real a real treat and honor and privilege to to, to be here with you, Bruce. I know we 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 certainly have used. So many of your books. In fact, this is how this interview came to, to pass. I couldn't get, "It's OK to be the boss," and I called you up. So... great to have you, and really
0: nice to see you, nice to hear your voice. Thanks for your uh, infectious enthusiasm. In our next episode, I'll talk with Callista Corley, Chief Revenue Officer at Fuel Cycle, the market research cloud technology provider. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at go to underscore podcast. That's at go to underscore podcast. Learn more about go toism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.